You feeling the love over there, Dan and Janice? Yeah. Just so that you know, Logistics Church, um, we're splitting Dan into two people in the interim. I'm Pastor Dan, and Ken is Pastor Dan. All those emails and suggestions you had about worship, all those gracious notes you used to write Dan, you send them to me. And if you have a concern or uh, need something in terms of children and families, send that to Pastor Ken, would you? We began our search committee process Monday night, and I invite all of you in your daily and weekly prayers to keep that search process in mind. I'm already hearing people say, we're never going to get another Pastor Dan. No, your mother says correct. No, we're not. God will send us someone. And that's what I keep telling people. So I ask you to keep that in your prayers this week. Would you do that? All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who was in need. They shared their things, everything they had. There was great power among them. They testified daily to the resurrection of the living Lord Jesus. God's grace was at work in them. There were no needy persons among them. That was last week, if you were here. I finished studying these texts with you last week, walked out the center aisle to the front door where the slatteries handed me a piece of paper, and on that piece of paper was the name of a person in need, which brought a smile to the corner of my mouth. We were just studying these passages, and here appears a person who is in need. I took the name and, uh, to be honest, tried to pass it off to one of you because I knew what my afternoon was like, and I found people who were willing to go and help this woman in need, but because of an emergency, that didn't work out. So very early Sunday morning, I got in my car, and I drove to a motel you would never check into, nor would I to help a single parent with a three-month-old who had no place to go and no food. And we paid for two nights lodging. We usually only do one, but I something felt, pay for two. And she said, please, could you do three? We paid for two nights lodging. Now, you need to know that usually Marty Albertson takes these phone calls on behalf of all of us. Marty's here today, and... Marty went the following day, on Monday morning, to go and give some grocery certificates. Now, Marty remembers people, and she remembers the details, and what she doesn't remember, her notes usually fill in the blanks. By the time Marty drove to the motel on Monday morning, the three-month-old was now a four-month-old, and nowhere to be found in the hotel room. When Marty said, where's your baby? Well, with its aunt. And there probably was no baby, and there probably was no abusive situation, and there probably was the woman, as I learned uh, when I spoke with her, had called several churches. And, and Marty knows from her record-keeping, the last year or the year before, this church help her, helped her with a lot of needs that she had. I asked Marty, by the way, how often does this happen to you that people get us? She said, no, not very often. I'm good. <laughs> Right, Marty? I know what to ask. I usually sniff it out. They got me, by the way, not her. So if not the woman at the motel, 
on the boulevard over here. Maybe it's the man who was sitting outside of her hotel at 6 o'clock last Sunday morning also asking for money. Or if not him, maybe the man at the Chevron station last week, maybe you've seen him, who carries the sign that he can't speak, but he needs gas money to get into L.A. He's asking for $2 because he has to go to L.A. And I said to him, when's the last time you filled up your tank? $2 is going to get you to Yucaipa Boulevard. And he did this with me, and by the time I, I, I didn't have time to hear the rest of the story because the attendant came and escorted him off of the property. If, if not that man, maybe the woman a few weeks ago who told me where to go when I wouldn't give her money. And I offered to pay for a meal. People who beg. Now, when you open the Bible this morning to read the story of the beggar who sat outside the city gates of Jerusalem, remember that we bring with us our memories and experiences of all of those we've come in contact with, like the woman and the man and the man and the woman. We bring with us to the text our memory and experiences of beggars in other countries. If you've lived abroad, and many of you have, you know the beggars in the marketplace, and you know how children, people will send their children up with, with cups and signs asking. We, we bring the memory and the experience, even ourselves, of being a little poor college students. And those of us who have, have hit a low spot, we, we know what it is to have to ask money for money. We bring our memories and our experiences of all of that as we read Acts chapter 3 this morning, a simple story, not simplistic, however, of a crippled man who sits begging outside the most striking building in Jerusalem. Acts 3, verse 1. Now, Peter and John went up to the temple at the time of prayer. At 3 in the afternoon... Now, a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful. He was put there every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John, and then Peter said, Look at us. So the man gave him his attention, expecting to get something from him. Then Peter said, Silver or gold I do not have. But what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet, he began to walk, and then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging the temple gate called Beautiful. They were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in, in this place called Solomon's Colonnade. When C Peter saw this, that people were looking at them, he said to them, People of Israel, why does this surprise you? Miracles attract enthusiastic crowds. It has always been that way, and as the book of Acts unfolds now, there will be several more miracles, and they will all attract a crowd, and then usually a sermon after. In fact, this very same miracle will come across again. Paul will heal a crippled man sitting outside a city gate, another man in another city later in the book of Acts. 
The history of the Christian church is scattered with these enthusiastic healing movements, little pockets of them that emerge from time to time in, in the growth of the Christian church. And it is true during the time of Jesus that the lines are not clear between, between science and sorcery or magic and spiritual healing. It's true that, that those disciplines, if you could call them that, are layered one on top of the other. So by the time Augustine formalized this thing we now call the church and, and tried to turn Christians into a proper and respectable religion, he, he sort of squelched faith healing and the practice of miracles from inside the church. It is interesting, though, that even up through the Middle Ages, that the kings and queens of France and England were known to have something called the royal touch, that sick people would come and line up at the throne hoping to be touched by the king of France or, or the queen of England, especially during this terrible time period when they had a disease similar to tuberculosis that caused these huge sores along the lymph system. People would line up hoping that the king would touch them, and if the king could touch them, the king would say, I toucheth thee, and the Lord healeth thee. All through the Middle Ages, about 600 years, this kind of healing happened in the name of God through the monarchs of stake. Miracles always attract enthusiastic crowds. Even today, maybe you've been to a faith healing church. Maybe you've been to a, a faith healing experience at the convention center. Maybe you've watched the people who line up and hope that the anointed one of God will touch them and change their lives. Why don't we have more miracles like this today? That's often the first question that's asked. Why just in the Bible? Why don't we see these very same miraculous signs today? In fact, that was the, the question in a sermon I heard this week, a short sermon in an Adventist setting where the pastor said, the church needs miracles today. Friends, are we afraid to ask for them? Do we believe God won't do them? Do we not want them bad enough? The church needs miracles. And the crowd said, amen. Why don't we get more miracles, people often ask. Maybe it's as one commentator the Acts of the Apostles says, well, perhaps we today just live in more humdrum times. We shouldn't expect miracles. There was a woman that approached me after church years ago now. The Spirit told her during the worship service that she and I needed a healing, that there was something negative between us, and the Spirit told her to come and pray with me and, and that the, the Spirit would heal us together before I could ask any questions. She was, she was in a prayer trance and began vocalizing and crying out and petitioning God to heal the rift between us and the, that the power of the Spirit, there's the anointing healing power would, would solve our issue and that we would emerge free to love one another and embrace, oh, and she went on and on and I kept my eyes closed and my head down. And at some point, the Spirit touched her again, and she began to weep and vocalize loudly. And, and it was clear that we were, we were now healed. And she embraced me, and, and she left the church. Got in the car, drove home with my spouse. I said, I've just been healed of a negative spirit I didn't know I had by a woman I've never met. How can there be something between us if we don't even know each other? And then the smart mouth, you sometimes get one too, people. I talked to God today. He didn't tell me there was anything going on. 
What's the Spirit telling her? And see, it's, it's because of awkward moments like this. It's because that each of us have such varied experience with the totally other divine when we encounter it physically and, and uh, cognitively. Our experiences are different. It's because of that that we're cautious. It's because, it's because of scammers and charlatans that we're a little cautious. It's, it's because we're not sure if it's the spirit of God or the spirit of the dark one we might be dealing with. So we're a little cautious when it comes to miracles and, and faith healers today. Why aren't there more miracles? There is a danger in suggesting that if humans wanted it more, if Christians would be more faithful, God would be more willing to pour out the miracle. There's a danger there. And I hope you recognize it too. I've sat at the bed now of enough sick ones and dying ones, and so have many of you. I have seen that if it were possible for families to will, to will out of their own will, to want it bad enough, their loved one would be alive today. I've seen families labor together. I've seen people dismissed from a room because if you don't believe God can do a miracle and heal this, this loved one, we don't even want you in the room. We only want people here who believe God's going to heal our loved one. I've seen people pour out their souls in front of God, in front of the sick and dying relative. I will have more faith. I will be more obedient. God, I covenant with you today. I really, really mean it this time. Go ahead. Change me. Teach me. I promise. Just Heal this person. There is a danger in believing that if humans somehow participated more intensely, God would pour out a miracle. I suggest in Acts chapter 3 that maybe the most significant thing happening is not the healing of the cripple, not the miracle of a man crippled for 40 years who can now walk. I suggest that maybe asking why don't we get more miracles is not the right question to ask. Maybe we could ask instead, what does this miracle mean and why is it in the Bible and what will it teach us? Because miracles are God's business, not humans. Miracles are in the divine of the realm. And by the way, miracles happen every moment, every day, every week. Maybe it's just that we don't name them. Maybe it's that they go unnoticed. That any of us live in any kind of satisfying, beautiful relationship with another human being. That's a miracle, don't you think? That there's generosity and goodness in the world of any kind. Isn't that a miracle? Day by day. By the way, another kind of healing, the, the, the healing arts, the Adventist church calls it the healing arts. We have won over hospitals and clinics in more than 100 countries now, a Christian denomination dedicated to healing. To me, it's a miracle that people wake up in the morning, selfish people wake up and choose those occupations for such little pay all around the world. Isn't that a miracle? Miracle after miracle happen every day. It's not that miracles aren't happening. Miracles are God's business, not human's business. And one of the reasons I believe maybe we're asking the wrong question when we ask for more miracles or why not more is, is also because of what happens when a miracle hap comes to us. Do you notice in the book of Acts, it's not the dial a miracle network. You see, people cannot manipulate the circumstances. They come when God chooses for these miracles to come. But what occurs to me also is that 
any miracle that comes, whether in Bible times or today, is always temporal. It's always temporary. Lazarus was healed, wasn't he? But he died, didn't he? People this week were healed of life-threatening diseases, but they will die on this planet Earth unless God comes. I heard good news from the Becker family this week, Steve, a clean report. I haven't asked your permission to say it out loud, but I know you, and I know it's okay, and you call that a miracle. A clean scan of a tumor, an ugly, vicious tumor in the brain from years ago. But unless God comes, like all the rest of us, Mr. Becker, on this planet, we all die. All miracles are temporary that we experience here, which leads me to say maybe the miracle is not the most important thing happening in Acts chapter 3. Maybe the more important thing happening is the two followers of Jesus, Peter and John, who are on their way into the most striking building in Jerusalem, and they decide to pause and talk to a man who sits on the outside. Peter and John are about to go into the divine presence and they're about to take their sacred rituals of prayer and sacrifice and, and they hope they'll stir up the attention of the divine while on the outside of the temple sits a man who needs divine attention. Maybe the miracle is that Peter and John, imitating, imitating Jesus of Nazareth, they decide to pause on their way into the temple. They decide to look at a man who Israel has already deemed an outcast for 40 years, and they decide to entertain the notion that maybe the man on the outside is worth more. The Bible says, and I hope you heard when we read it earlier, Peter stopped and he addressed the man, and he said to the man, look at me. He waited until the man would look back, as if to say, you don't have to sit in your shame. I'm going to look at you. I will give you that dignity to look you in the eye. And then he announces the name of Jesus Christ and tells him to get up and walk, and he gives him his hand. Did you see? The Bible says he reaches out and touches him and, and helps him up. And from then on, the Bible says two, three, four times that the lame man who can now jump and leap and walk grabs on to Peter and John and hangs on to them. And they go into the temple together. Maybe the miracle there, the twist in the story there, is that a man who for 40 years hasn't been able to be in the presence of the divine is now in full participation in the community. And Peter and John walked right in with him. The story is about Peter and John who are willing to pause. You notice they don't offer the man what he asks for. He just needs a few coins to buy some bread. And somehow they get going in the name of Jesus, and he can now walk. He didn't ask to walk. He just asked for a few coins. In the name of Jesus is this powerful gesture that happens now through the book of Acts. We sing about it often in our Christian songs. Power in the name of Jesus. It is true in ancient times, just the name meant something powerful, to speak the name out loud. It isn't as <clears throat> if we say a name today, if I tell you the name of my first grade teacher, Mrs. Arakawa, and we all loved her. When I say the name Mrs. Arakawa, all the memories flood in my mind. I remember the swishy skirts she used to wear. In the first grade, this is a big deal. Her skirts had sequins all over them, and they were huge. She was a tiny little thing, but these skirts took up all the space between the desks as she swished through the aisles. 
When I say the name Mrs. Arakawa, I get that memory, and, I, and then I remember her generosity and her kindness with the students. She never raised her voice, did she, Bonnie? Never raised her voice. When I say the name Mrs. Arakawa, I remember the scent as she passed by the part seaweed, part miso, part buckwheat noodles. <laughs> like a Japanese restaurant we never had where we grew up. See, when I say the name Mrs. Arakawa, all those memories come flooding to my mind. That isn't what ha happens in Acts of the Apostles. When they say the name of Jesus, it isn't just memories they call forth. Oh, we should stop now because Jesus would stop if he sees a cripple. When they say the name of Jesus, it as is, it's as if the inherent qualities and the characters and the power of that man Jesus are now present. Just at the mention of his name. The disciples do that, and I believe the real miracle is then that God honors what the disciples do. They pause, they mention Jesus, and God does a miracle. God honors their actions with a miracle. The lame man can walk. Perfect health, wholeness, an unblemished condition. That's what the word means there when the man is healed. He has an unblemished condition. He walks into the temple to participate in God's world, in God's agenda. I bet it's not long before the crippled man who now walks is also moving around with the apostles, offering the same healing to the rest of the world. Now, if he didn't ask for a healing, I can guarantee you the saints inside the temple didn't ask for a sermon that day. But that's what happened next. Peter and John went inside with the lame man who can now walk, clinging on to him, and everyone's watching, and, and, and Peter argues, almost barks back to them in, in chapter 3, verse 12. Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we made this man walk? We didn't do this. God did this. What are you staring at, Peter says. Which, by the way, is one sign of a truly authentic spiritual person, spirit-filled person. They always know where the source of power is. It's never in us. It's always in God. What are you staring at? We didn't heal the man. God healed the man. And then Peter cranked out the second sermon in Acts. The first sermon was Acts chapter 2. Ken, a few weeks ago, talked about the Pentecost experience. What happens in Acts 3 is the next sermon of Peter. I call this the steroid. This is, this is the Pentecost sermon on steroids. He takes an old sermon, Pentecost sermon, and he reworks it. A few preachers have been known to do that. But he cranks it up. He fine-tunes it. He targets it for the crowd. The words are not the same as the Pentecost sermon. He walks into the temple and he says to the people, by the way, it wasn't Pontius Pilate that killed Jesus. It was you who crucified the Holy One. It was you in your ignorance who let loose of the one who came to bring you healing. <clears throat> it was you who chose not to grab on to the plan of the God of Abraham. He begs for them to repent of their ignorance, which, by the way, ignorance isn't a sin, is it? Ignorance can be corrected. He begs them, be educated, listen, watch, and the man who was healed at the gate becomes the sermon illustration for the day. What just happened to that man outside the temple needs to happen for all of you inside the temple. You need to be healed also. Peter gives them a sermon. God's coming to restore everything. He, 
Isaiah 35 has this interesting way of talking about the restoration of God. Isaiah 35 verse 6 says, When God finally comes to restore everything, the lame shall leap like a deer. And what did that crippled man just do? That is the restoration Peter speaks about when he goes in to give a sermon to those people. You don't even have to jump and leap around. You don't even have to get God's attention. Holy people of Israel, God's eyes are already fixed on you. God's been attempting to help you. Would you wake up and let God do it through the person of Jesus? That's the sermon they get that day. Watching the pictures coming out of Myanmar, you must be watching them too this week. The storytelling has become so horrific to listen to as the death toll assumed to be rising so high and stories of parents who lost the grip of their children washed out into the sea. 2,000 square feet of lake, of ocean there, lake in the Delta region underwater. But the most horrifying part of the story, wouldn't you agree, is that all these supplies are waiting to get into the country? The most terrible part of the story is that nations are responding and sending water and food and supplies and medication and, and they're eager to help and, and there stands, if we believe the reports we're hearing, there stands a government who's blocking that aid coming into the country. Heartbreaking. It isn't that much different than the situation for the Israelites standing in the temple that day. God is standing, waiting to pour out his healing blessing on you ignorant people. Why do you block him? Peter says, why do you block him? You need a healing. It is what the church is about. I love that the first act that, James, uh, that Peter and John do together is to stop and take care of one who's in need. Did you notice they didn't have to give him a Bible study first? Did you see that? Did you notice he didn't have to be persuaded of doctrinal or theological convictions first? They just paused and attended to him in the name of Jesus. I love that the church takes off that way. And it ought to be our model. Healing on purpose. It's what the church does with the name of Jesus and the power of Jesus and the, the prayer of Jesus and the spirit of Jesus. It's why the church exists. And if we aren't a healing church, then we better call a time out and close the doors and go into business session and ask why. What's happening if we're not bringing healing to ourselves and to this world? You are whole. You belong. You are God's. Get up and walk. That's what a healing church says in the world. What is startling out of the Acts 3 story is that what the church offers the world is also what the church herself, you, me, need. The healing touch of God. Marianne Crispins took a group of us to Women of Faith last September, and I do, have not forgotten the story Sheila Walsh told one of those days. I believe it was a little uh, sparrow that flew into their win front window and lay wounded on the front ground, the lawn there, and her son has a thing for sick animals. 
So they scoop them up and seem to be always running sick animals to shelters where people will take care of them. And that day, they scooped up the animal and found a bird shelter that would take them. And as they walked into the bird shelter, as Sheila Walsh tells the story, they looked around and they were absolutely amazed. There's a duck with a broken beak and there's a pigeon with a leg problem and, and there's a hawk that's got an issue and, and here's a seagull who can't get up, and now here's the little sparrow that they offer who's wounded and needs to be tended to. And Sheila said, I asked the shelter worker there. I did not know all these species could live together in one place. It's amazing. They really can do this. And the worker said, they can do it as long as they are all wounded. They do it as long as they all know they are wounded. Isn't it an incredible thing a wounded church offers healing to the world? Healing on purpose in the name of Jesus. Amen. So may your healing love fall on us, God, through the power of the Spirit in the mighty name of Jesus. And when it does, may we take that healing love outside these walls by that same spirit, in that same powerful name, we pray. Amen.